Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Through the years, big man, little man at NFL training camp. That's 2013. King Dunlap, and he truly was a king-sized human being. With little Danny Woodhead, look at that difference. And it has happened time and again, Chris, because it wasn't that long ago that Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry were teammates That's even better. Yeah, and look at that. I mean, it looks Photoshopped. It does. That's how glaring the difference is between Lewis and Henry Lewis now with the New York Giants. And this is yesterday, the New York Jets, Mekhi Becton and Jameson Crowder. It's amazing. Uh, Becton is a huge human being. I think that would be a glaring distinction regardless of who's standing next to him except for King Dunlap. Let's go back to the second one, though. Derrick Henry and Deion Lewis. Those guys play the same position. It's one thing to have a tackle and a running back or a tackle and a receiver. Those are both running backs, and it gives you an appreciation of just how large Derrick Henry is. Oh, my and, gosh. You know, it took him a couple of years to fulfill his potential, but he became one of the very best running backs in football last year, and he got paid accordingly. That size has a lot to do with it, and he takes a few steps to really get going, but once he gets going, Chris, you do not want to get in his way. No, he's a freight train once he gets going. I mean, he can run you over, and once he gets going and opens up, I mean, he can he can outrun the fastest people in football. I mean, he can really go. But I think that's like, you know, the biggest thing that's been impressive about Derrick Henry to me. For such a big guy, yeah, you said it. It takes him a little while to get going. But I do think he's a lot better in short areas than maybe people were thinking he was going to be in Alabama or coming out of Alabama. You know, again, not that it's beautiful, but he is capable of getting in the hole, changing directions, and accelerating pretty fast for a guy that size to where it's still effective in the NFL. But you're right. He wants to be coming downhill full speed. And when he hits the hole that way, you know, forget about it. You get worn out tackling a guy like that. I can't even imagine tackling a guy like that. I really can't. I mean, that, that's – I saw the first time I saw Brandon Jacobs back in the day. You remember him, Brandon Jacobs, with the New York Giants? We were playing the New York Giants up here on a fall day. It was cold. And I remember thinking – like, oh my gosh, I just, I, you couldn't pay me enough money to be Rondé Barber or one of these DBs right now to tackle that big freak, you know, coming through a hole at full speed. It's just they're, they're the greatest specimens on earth, these guys at running back. And, you know, the thing about Derrick Henry, he's not playing for a high profile, nationally known team. And the game is more about passing now. That's what gets the fantasy football crowd fired up, although they still love a good running back. Derrick Henry is the closest thing the game currently has to Jim Brown. And we told him that yeah. when yeah. we were with him at the Super Bowl. He is. He is. It evokes memories of the way that Jim Brown used to be dominant, used to be man among boys when he was on the field. And when Henry is rolling, that's what it's like. Once he gets past that first level, no one can bring him down and few want to even try to bring him down. And, uh, this year, he may be doing it in plenty of stadiums that don't have many fans present. That's what we're going to talk about now. And I, we talked yesterday about it from one specific angle. 
the complaints from people like Vikings coach Mike Zimmer, Bills coach Sean McDermott about the potential competitive imbalance of some stadiums having fans right. and plenty of stadiums having no fans. And there was a an endless stream yesterday of teams announcing no fans, no fans, no fans, at least for the early start of the season. Uh, Jerry Jones, who plans to have as many fans as he can legally wedge into AT&T Stadium, was asked yesterday on 105.3 The Fans in Dallas about some teams having fans present and some teams not. And is it fair and is it not fair? Here's Jerry Jones. Is it fair for some teams to have fans in the stands and not fair that others can't have it? Absolutely. We've made our minds that uh, this thing isn't going to be one way or the other. Surely about uh, evening up everything that could be uh, competitive. Uh, You've got to have some experience to adapt to the the virus, attendance being one of them, and to the end that we can get uh, fans enjoying these games with an experience similar to uh, the, uh, uh, the thing they've come accustomed is a big step in the right. For the most part, that's just keep talking until they forget what the question was because he really didn't address whether it's fair. But he did say one thing at the very end, letting the fans continue to do something they're accustomed to that I think is a big reason why this dynamic is unfolding the way that it is. But it is becoming more glaring, Chris, because for every team that – intends to have fans present that has been authorized by state and local ordinance to have fans present. There are more and more that are either not allowed or are choosing at least initially not to even try yesterday Rams and chargers 49ers bills. They all came out yesterday along with the Bengals and the Vikings and said, they're not going to have fans at least at the home opener, at least for the first couple of games of the season. And who knows where it goes from there. So I think as the list of teams that won't have fans gets longer and longer, that competitive imbalance becomes more glaring because it's just a a relatively small portion of the teams that will have fans. And, you know, the broader question is, from the league's perspective, is it worth it to have this potential competitive imbalance? Is it worth it to say we're going to grab every less dollar we can get when maybe the right thing to do is, I'm coming around on this, maybe the right thing to do is, notwithstanding the money, to say, you know what, there's enough teams that can't have fans, we're just not letting anyone have fans this year. Well, okay, I mean, yeah, there is definitely a competitive advantage. We've talked about that. And, you know, again, if you're in the NFC East and you're the New York Giants and you got no fans when the Dallas Cowboys come up to play you and it's just a quiet environment and now you got to go to the Dallas Cowboys – and play in front of a 50% stadium, which, you know, what is that roughly? Going to be 35,000 there in Dallas, something around that, 36, 37,000, uh, somewhere in that whereabouts. Yeah, that's going to be significant crowd noise. Now, I don't think it's going to be the, like altering the game to where the Giants are going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is so unfair. You know, we can't hear Daniel Jones at the line of scrimmage. No, I don't think it's going to be that big of an advantage to where, you know, we should make that big of a deal about it. But – if the NFL wants to just squash this, then let's just use fake crowd noise. And then that's the end of that conversation. Okay, yep, here's the crowd. Okay, Dallas, you got fans? Hey, New York, we don't have fans, but we're going to turn up the volume and it's going to sound like we got fans when you have the ball on offense. And maybe that's the safer thing anyways. So the mics aren't open and we don't hear a whole long list of four-letter words to an NFL football game, which go on every four seconds between coaches and players. Maybe that's scary. Maybe they do need to do the crowd noise. Let's put a pin in that thought. Yeah. Because I want to address another topic before we get to this issue of crowd noise because it creates its own set of sub-issues Yeah. based upon my understanding of the way the NFL is thinking about doing it. Okay. When it comes down to the question of is it worth it financially for these teams to actually proceed with, you know, and for a lot of teams it's going to be in that range of thirteen to 16,000. The Dolphins, for example, right around 13,000. I got somebody on the phone yesterday who understands this stadium game day revenue machine as well as anyone to just kind of break it down. What are we talking about if you have, and we went with 15,000 total fans. If you've got 15,000 who can show up at your stadium, how much money are you truly making? And here's the reality. And, you know, we, we decided, and again, I defer to the expertise of the person I was talking to, uh, an average ticket price, average across the board, $70 per seat. And you're looking at about $13 net 
per person for parking, food, beverage, merchandise. And then you factor in the cost of operating the stadium. And what you've got to do is you've got to open the whole stadium because it's not going to be 15,000 fans in the lower bowl. Right. In order to spread them out, you have to have your upper deck open. You have to have your lower deck. You have to have all your concession stands. It's full operating game day, even if you only have a fourth of your fans there. When you get it all calculated, when you boil it all down and you expand it over eight full games for the season, you're looking at a hair under, at best, $5 million in gross revenue pre-tax for the owner. Mm. After taxes, you're looking at about $2.5 million for the full season. Now, look, a lot of people are going to look at that and say, well, hell, it's $2.5 million, but you have to understand the magnitude of the money that these individuals already have. For them, $2.5 million is nothing. Yeah. For them, it's fair to ask, is it worth it to chase $2.5 million to go through this, right. to have this headache of opening the stadium every week, and who knows if people are going to comply with the requirement to keep a mask right. on. You've got this vague potential litigation threat Liability, that's out there. Liability, right, right. It, it may not be worth it. Yeah. It may not be worth it. Yeah. Chris, here's one of the big reasons why they're doing it. There's two reasons. Mm -hmm. The biggest reason is, and this gets to what Jerry Jones was talking about, there are fans that desperately want to go to the games. So if you're in a city where neither the state nor local government has said you can't do it, there's an expectation by a chunk of your fan base that they're going to be able to come to the game. And if they can't, they're going to be pissed off. So the teams that are doing it are acting primarily out of this desire to not alienate a core, zealous part of their fan base that is determined to be at the games. That's why they do it. It's a long-term customer relations play. And the union, this is the separate reason, Right. the union is going to expect the league to chase every dollar possible because they split the money. Right. So from the union's perspective, it doesn't matter whether the Dolphins are making enough money to justify the trouble or any other team that can do it. When you combine it all, it's more money that goes into the pot that determines the salary cap next year. So the union would probably complain if teams that can have fans present under state and local law refuse to do so. That's why they're doing it. It's yes, they're chasing money, but it's not really big money. And it's more about maintaining the right relationship with that segment of the season ticket holder base that will be extremely upset if the team is allowed to have fans present but chooses not to. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, well, first thing I want to ask about that second part. I mean, do you think the union would really ask that or want that at this time right now, you know, just with, with the current circumstances? I would. You would? Yeah, I would. I, okay. I, 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 look, they're, they're already facing a significant reduction of the salary cap as it is. Every dollar earned is a dollar saved. And yes, I think if the, if the state and local authorities allow it and the league has put the protocols in place and they've got the the buffer of that first eight rows covered in tarps, the players are safe. I think based upon people I was talking to yesterday, the players want it. They want fans yeah, present. Yeah, I think they, so too. They they right. want, you know, they they want people to see them do what they're doing. Right. It's one thing to know that hey, it, there's a TV camera here and people are watching at home. It's another thing to have the energy that comes from having the actual people. I think how different it would be for us if we had a studio audience that was throwing eggs and tomatoes at us while we were trying to talk. I mean, it's a different vibe altogether. It, it and the is. players want that. They want it. They want it for the positive energy of the home crowd. And a lot of players want it for the negative energy sure. of the road crowd where it gets them fired up. It gets them focused. It gets them ready to go. Definitely. I mean, I, I'd argue a lot of the times I felt more fired up when we were on the road and everybody hated us and wanted us to lose and they were talking crap and things like that. Now, regardless, it's going to be weird. I mean, I, you know, again, you know, you said it. It's got to be the full operation of the stadium. So guy, people are going to be so spread out. I wonder how much noise they can really create anyways being that spread out. I mean, that, that'll be interesting to me nonetheless to see where that goes but hey I understand hey in some of these states yeah they're not looking at it you know maybe as harshly as other states and yeah because of that then they're the people that live within those states you know they're not maybe taking it quite as seriously or not as worried about it and yeah they want to go to sporting events so I, I understand that but I mean yeah to me yeah the big thing is like what you said Mike and where I'm just interested is yeah okay you make a little bit of money certainly but is it really worth it in the big grand scheme of things? And I know, whoa, you know, $3 million, it's a lot of money. I'll take it right now. Yep. I mean, it's a lot. But not to not to people who, you know, are billionaires and, you know, have a business that makes somewhere north of $400 million every year. Plus, when you talk about, like you said, if 
if what if the Cowboys are letting fans in there and they're not rest- or being really strict with people keeping their masks on, they're following protocol, and then somebody at the game gets sick, and then they can say, hey, the Cowboys, you didn't enforce this. Look, at the I got pictures on my phone. There's 70 people around me who don't have masks on. You said people were going to be wearing masks. That's to me where I would just go, man, is it worth the deal those headaches if that you know uh, came about? You're going to have to have an extra layer of attention by your security detail to be enforcing the mask wearing, right? Yeah. You're going to have so. to. You're right. And, and this goes into the liability considerations. You can only hide so much behind the state and local government allowed us to do it. The NFL gave us protocols to do it. We did what we were supposed to do. Well, if the NFL says thou shalt wear masks and your people aren't wearing masks and your employees aren't going to them and saying, put the mask on or get the hell out. That's the kind of thing that could kill you if you end up in court trying to defend yourself against a claim that you were reckless, that you were careless, that you created a super spreader event by not properly adhering to the requirements that applied to your effort to open your stadium. And one last point on this, Chris. Don't be surprised, not that we're ever going to find this out, but don't be surprised if some teams aren't lobbying all that actively to get the state and local government to allow them to have fans present because that's the ultimate shield for the teams that know it's not worth it for the teams that have crunched the numbers and asked themselves that bigger picture question. Is it worth it? If they're lucky, their state and their local government won't allow it. So they don't have to be the ones to say, sorry, zealous season ticket holder. We could have you here, but we just don't want to be bothered with it this year. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there were multiple teams that fall into that category yeah. where they aren't all that upset right. that the the government is preventing them from doing it. You mentioned the issue of fake crowd noise. Yeah, I caught wind of this one yesterday. Now I asked the league, what are your plans for fake crowd noise? Official response from the league, the plans are still being finalized. Here's what they're considering. And if you were watching closely earlier, you saw it up, and there it is. It's back. Well, it's coming back. It'll come back. Just it'll magically, magically reappear. There, there it is. is. Look at that, boy. If if only I had that power that, in other contexts, life don't. would be a lot easier. Thank God you don't. The NFL is considering <laughs> fake crowd noise in the range of seventy to eighty-five decibels. And here's the kicker, Chris. It would be the same the entire game, whether the home team is on offense or the road team is on offense. Think about how messed up that is that potentially makes no sense. For, a, for a team like the Vikings, right? For a team like the Vikings that is going to be able to operate in relative quiet when they have the ball at home in their stadium. And then when the other team has the ball, it gets loud. We, we posted a photo last night from a Vikings game where on the video board, it showed the decibel level at 118.3 when the Denver Broncos were in the huddle that game last year when the Vikings were down, what was it, 20 to nothing at halftime, and they came back and won the game. Right. So, uh, yeah, it makes no sense to make it the same. And it works. That in and of itself works as a disadvantage to the teams that have a great home field advantage. Yes, it does. It's it's out the window. Definitely. You know, especially the team that has the home field advantage and then also has a high octane offense where let's say the New Orleans Saints, it's loud as hell when the defense is there. You can't hear a guy three inches from your face. But those fans are smart, and then they know when Drew Brees is on the field, hey, everybody, shut the hell up. He's got to audible and make calls and talk to Sean Payton and get everybody on the same page. Like uh, uh, That doesn't make sense to me. Why? What is the logic behind doing that? We can't have a guy in the audio booth go, okay, my team's on defense. Here we're going to put it at 85 decibels. Wait. Now my team's on offense. The NFL has mandated that I put it at 35 decibels because it's quiet, you know, just ambient noise, whatever it may be. I, I don't under, even understand the hard line of that, that. I agree with you. If you're going to do it, the right way to do it and the fair way to do it, and I assume that, that somewhere, somehow, if they don't have this, they should. Some sort of information about what the average decibel level is for let's say the Vikings when they're playing at home, when they have the ball, the yeah. average decibel level when the defense has the ball. And yes, it's going to change, right? One of, the, one of the objectives of a visiting team when they go and play in a loud, raucous stadium is what, Chris? 
take the crowd out of the game. Exactly. Now, that's when it gets even more complicated because, well, ordinarily it would be 100 decibels when the opposing team has the ball, but, you know, they're kicking the crap out of us right now. I almost said a different word there, and it wouldn't be very loud right now. The the fans would have given up. They would have left by now. So that's where it gets a little complicated. But it's still better to factor in what it normally sounds like in right. a normal year right. than to just say we're going to have this set level that's always going to why, – why, ha, why have anything? Have nothing then. It makes no sense to have background noise that's going to be the same regardless of who has the ball. No, I, I don't like that. I don't get it. And it's a very easily fixed. So, I, I mean, I just would like to know the logic behind just keeping it there. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get that. And I would think that would make some teams, you know, annoyed to a degree. Yeah, who, who yeah, look forward to playing home and having those advantages and being able to, you know, yell a word and not have to give signals or yell a new word for the week and not have to show a team the signals, all those type of things. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't get that one. I hope that gets fixed. And, and this is something you need to factor into your, if, if you are so inclined to do so in a jurisdiction where it's legal, your wagering selections week by week and big picture division winners, playoff teams, because here's who benefits from this, Chris, the chargers benefit from this. The Falcons benefit from this, you know, the Falcons stadium they've had like 43 million in defaults on their PSLs yeah that stadium has quietly been overrun by fans of popular teams that come into play right the Chargers we know there's nothing quiet about it it's laughable the way that the soccer stadium they were playing in was being overrun last December the Vikings played there it looked like a Vikings home game at the at the outdoor stadium they played at for three years while their new stadium was being built. That's how many Vikings fans were there. So for teams like that, that don't truly have a home field advantage because so many fans of the opposing team show up and so few of their fans do, they, they have an easier time at home now and they go on the road. If you play a team that has a true home field advantage, that's wiped out. Those are the teams to watch the teams that have not had a home field advantage. Yeah. That, that that basically, you know, the Chargers in 2018, the year that they had that 12 and four record, they didn't lose outside of Los Angeles until the divisional round against the Patriots. Patriots. Yeah. That's they were they were battle hardened. Look, you if you don't if you have a bunch of fans who are rooting for the visiting team when you play at home, going on the road is a picnic, and so that that franchise has had that baked in. It's going to be great for them. This Chargers team. They're going to have the lack of a home field disadvantage, and they're going to be facing teams that have, don't have a home field advantage. That plays right into their cards for this season. Well, well you know, at what point are they going to let NFL teams know what's going to be, you know, the protocol here, too? You know, that, Finalizing I just, plans. Yeah, okay. Finalizing plans. I know. Because, 15 days to go. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I mean, because we're getting down to, like you said, 15 days to go. Right. And a few extra days for the rest of the league, but 15 for the Texans and, and the Chiefs to where, you know, you might want to start practicing with crowd noise to be prepared for your first game. You know, hey, Deshaun Watson. Yeah, we're going to Kansas City. Hey, the NFL mandated they're going to put it at 85 decibels. Hey, guys, yeah, we can start having some practices with uh, some speakers out here. What, what do you want to say? What? You've tripped, you've tripped onto an open question because yeah. the Chiefs are going to have fans present. One thing that I've asked and haven't gotten an answer to yet from sources per sources right will they still use that that, that minimum decibel level if you have 15,000 fans there or will they abandon the fake noise in any game where fans are allowed to be present yeah. regardless of the noise that they're going to create no I, I wonder that too that's why I was bringing it up before about the Cowboys and being that spread out is that really going to be even loud enough to get to a mark to where they might still go hey fans are here but this is not that loud we're going to turn up the volume and have some fake noise too but yeah I, I mean I would think you'd want to know those type of things. Preparing for a game, first game of the year, you know, first live bullets, action, here we go. Yeah, this is the time where coaches start to infuse, hey, bring the speakers out to practice, make it loud. Deshaun, you're going to have to speak up in the huddle. Guys, you're going to have to start reading lips and, you know, getting used to that and silent count at the line of scrimmage and signals and all that. Uh, so they're getting dangerously close to where they got to start to let these teams know so they can prepare. And here's the other thing, too. Right. We talked earlier about whether it's worth it financially to have a partial crowd in your stadium. But if they will turn off the fake noise, if you have fans present, Ooh. that's a reason to have fans present because you, you don't have to deal with the 70 to 85 decibels while you're trying to run your offense. Who, who cares how loud it gets 
when the road team has the ball, it's not going to be loud when you have the ball. You're not going to have to deal with that that ambient 70 to 85 decibels every time you're out there trying to make your offense go. So that's a that falls that's into another- the pros category. If regardless of whether or not you care about the extra $2 million that you're going to make by having a full season of partial crowd, that's a reason to want to have a partial crowd if they turn off that machine. Well, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that's where, I mean, if you have a great defense, you might not like that. If you're one of those teams that's trying to be built through that to where, oh, okay, now we have crowd in the stands and what we can't use the speaker volume. Uh, and it's not that loud. There's only 15,000 people here. They might as well not have any noise or anything like that. It's not affecting the other team. You know, they might not like that aspect of it either. So, yeah, they need to figure that out. Are they going to have noise with the stadiums that are a quarter full or half full or whatever it is? Is there going to be other extra noise? And then, of course, what is it going to be set at? And the fact that they're talking about just 75 to 85 the whole game, no matter who's on offense or who's on defense, that makes no sense. I don't get that. So uh, I I would hope that the NFL would, would fix these situations here soon. Yeah, I think the easiest thing to do is just have no supplemental crowd noise. That's just one less opportunity for shenanigans, and it just doesn't make sense. And let the crowd noise be added into the broadcast like we've seen with other sports. Yeah, and NBA. it doesn't sound bad. It right. doesn't sound unnatural. It only gets weird when you hear crowd noise and you have a shot of this sea of empty seats yeah because that's when you realize that crowd noise is not coming from the fans who aren't there so that's where it all stands and this is an important issue because we are 15 days away and we know it's a deadline driven business but this isn't the kind of issue that should be left until the 11th hour this is something that at the very latest at the absolute latest and here's hoping they have it done by then before teams begin their preparations in earnest for week one. And for the Chiefs and the Texans, that's a week from tomorrow as a practical matter. Yeah, I would even say a little before that. Yeah. Let's make sure everyone knows what the rules are. I mean, the clock is ticking very loudly, somewhere in the range of 70 to 85 decibels. All right, let's take a break. State of the franchise continues. We're up to number seven, the Seattle Seahawks. Can they get back to a Super Bowl with the roster that they have and how far can Russell Wilson take them with that roster? More PFT Live coming right after. This guy is different. Here he comes. They gonna feel me today. (laughs) That's why you trip. (laughs) Seattle Seahawks loose. Seattle Seahawks, they have a great amount of camaraderie it appears, Chris, in yes, the <laughs> practice field. And they have had a great amount of success since Pete Carroll became the coach a decade ago, since Russell Wilson became the quarterback in 2012. He's never been part of a team with a losing record. And there they are at number seven on the preseason PFT power rankings. Whoa. Some would say they should be higher. Is that too high? I don't think so. I think that's. I think you got them just right. I don't think I would have put them in front of Let me see that list one more time, Kristen, if you don't mind back there. I don't think I could have. All right, I would have put them in front of the Bucks. I won't lie about that. Yes, I would have. You may feel differently in October. Well, maybe I will, but right now I don't. I know one thing. Yeah, I think I probably would have done that, certainly. But uh, the other teams, no, the Saints, Patriots, Ravens, 49ers, and Chiefs, I think they're clearly kind of in a class of their own with the NFL. And look, the Seahawks were so close to winning the division last year. It came down to the last drive, to the last play on NBC, the final game of the season, game number 256. If the Seahawks can punch it in and win the game, they're the not the one seed. They'd have been the two or the three, but the 49ers would have been the five seed to completely change the the complexion of the postseason. It would would have been been ridiculous if it would have happened because the 49ers were that bright, shiny object all year, but the Seahawks would just never go away. And that's kind of what they've become. They're the team that will not go away. They were the dominant team 2013-2014 in the NFC, won the Super Bowl the first year, should have won it the second year, and then – They just continue like every time you try to write them off and move on and turn the page and they're done, let someone else step up. They're still there. They are the ultimate grinder. They're the ultimate cockroach team. And I mean that in a good way. You cannot kill them. They are always going to be there. That's the first time the cockroach species has ever been referred to in a good way. But you can't kill them. No, they're always there. And if you overlook them. They are going to rise up and they are going to beat you. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's a testament to Pete Carroll and just what he does. I mean, anybody I've ever talked to that's been out there, played there, worked for him. I mean, the energy, the way he, 
you know, has this ability to cause competition for everything on a daily basis and the players embrace it. I think that all is, you know, reflects him on the field that the team is like, oh, what? we're down by 10, the fourth quarter. Great. You know, we've been competing all week. This is what we're here for. And they, they really, they love it. So that kind of gives them that never die attitude. And, you know, of course, they've rebuilt their football team in a lot of good ways. Definitely. You know, the offense, Russell Wilson, we know it's special. DK Metcalf, we talked about him yesterday. I mean, I think we're, we both agree he's about to hit superstardom. Greg Olson, a part of the offense now. They've got the offensive line in place. You know, Brian Schottenheimer seems to have, you know, a pretty good feel of how he wants to attack. You know, Tyler Lockett. So you look at the offensive side of the ball and you go, man, you know, there's some names there and, of course, some weapons and things like that to move the football. Now, the issue I will say is they're a team that's usually like to play, you know, run the football and play through their defense. And we've talked about that a lot. I think it's handicapped them to a degree. But also, let's not forget, Chris Carson's coming off a pretty serious in injury. Rashad Penny, the other running back, coming off a pretty serious injury. They had to sign Carlos Hyde, who's kind of a journeyman right now to where that aspect's not going to be available, I don't think, just to rely on the run game early in the year. And uh, that could change or maybe make them be the team we want where they throw the ball with Russell Wilson more. Yeah, it got so bad last year, they brought back Marshawn Lynch at the tail end of right. the season. That's how many guys who were banged up, and he was there for the playoff run. And look, they've made it to the playoffs for the last five years. They keep they – keep getting to a point where you think they're going to pop through in the postseason, but they just can't. They lost to the Packers last year in Green Bay. The year before that, they lost to the Cowboys in the wild card round in Dallas. It just feels like there's something missing yeah. that, you know, they can get to the playoffs, but they can't get past that initial hump or two. They're kind of like the Vikings in that regard, yeah. where when it's time to play a dominant team or a team that is at least better than them, in the postseason, they can't get it done. What are they missing? What do they need this year to make that difference? So if they are in the mix in January and they are on the road against a team that, that uh, you know, is maybe better than them or at least as good as them on paper, what do they need to get past that? To, to me, the, the, the big thing is the defense. That, that's got to take the next step. I mean, you know, of course, the Seattle Seahawks became who they are and Pete Carroll and everything because they built it through the defense and the run game and the rookie quarterback. Well, you know, now, you know, we, we, like we just talked about, everything's changed. I mean, the strength of the team is the damn quarterback and his ability to make plays in the pass game. And, you know, oh, it's a big moment. Russell will drive down and score a touchdown. Don't worry about it. The defense, though, however, cannot make a lot of – cannot make big stops. It has moments through the last few years to where, you know, people can tear them up a little bit. So that, to me, is look to where they need to make the next step. And, of course, getting Jamal Adams and a difference maker that way is huge. Yeah, I mean, he's one of the best defensive players in the game. You know, even a Quinton Dunbar, you know, fitting their scheme at the corner position. That'll help there. That'll be an upgrade. But the big thing is they're going to need some of these young, unproven guys to come through a little bit. You know, LJ Collier, their defensive end first-round pick from the 2019 draft out of TCU. He didn't really contribute last year. Can they get Bruce Irvin, who they signed in free agency, to contribute as a pass rusher and come off the edge that way? That's what's been missing to me. You know, last year it was Clowney, and that was it. Other than him, it felt like nobody else in that defense can make a play. Uh, so with Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright getting up there in years, and they're starting to retool that defense a little bit, that's my big question about them. Can they stop the high-octane offenses and really good quarterbacks in football when they need to? And last year, I would argue that they didn't for the most part. You say they're getting up there in years. You act like they're turning 40 in three days or something. <laughs> You're funny. Well, you know, I am turning 40 in three days. You're right. Gosh, don't remind me. But, uh, yeah, they are getting up there in years. A lot of the times with a defense, my, my position is if you have a dominant front seven, it doesn't matter who's playing in the secondary right. for the most part because the quarterback doesn't have any time to get rid of the football. Can, can the reverse be true if you have a Jamal Adams back there patrolling? Does that, does that help the front seven? Does it force the quarterback to maybe be a little more careful with the ball and hold on to it just long enough to give somebody – in the pass rush, a chance to get to him. Definitely, is the reverse true? Yeah, the reverse. Yeah, the reverse is definitely true. There's, I mean, the New England Patriots are doing that, right? They're basically going, "We're going to cover you up, 
and then we're going to make you hold the ball because you can't find anybody open, or we're so good at man-to-man, we're going to be creative with the other guys and give you some really creative blitzes that will create the pressure that way. So that's that's definitely definitely a possibility, Mike. And with those two safeties, I mean, that's one of the better safety duos in football now. You know, with Adams and Diggs, hey, corner's been a little bit of an issue. We've talked about that. But when you have that type of talent, maybe it adds to a little bit more versatility and maybe you taking a chance here and there because you go, ah, I might not have done this if I had a bunch of average Joes out there, but I got some studs out here right now where, you know, I'll roll the dice on this defense and see if I can create some sort of mismatch up front to get pressure on the quarterback that way. And that's where, yes, it can filter down to help out a defense that way or whatever may be to, to answer your question. But that that's what they need, you know, and especially you look at the end of the year last year, that defense, you know, it, it, it bled a little bit. They lost three to the last four games. The Rams moved the ball up and down the field on them. The Cardinals went into Seattle, moved the ball up and down the field. The 49ers in that last game of the year moved the ball up and down the field. There was really never an issue. You know, and then, of course, yes, they win the wild card game and, and, and go to Green Bay, and guess what it was? Hey, defense, we need to make you make a stop. Oh, we don't have a guy that can make that big stop in the big moment. So uh, I, I think that's the biggest question about the Seahawks, if they want to be a Super Bowl winner or a Super Bowl team. We have been challenged by producer Pete Demolitis to not make this segment all about Russell Wilson. We have barely mentioned him. We've done pretty good. The time. The remainder of the time, though, is going to focus on the most important player on the team, the number two quarterback on the Chris Sims Top 40 quarterback countdown this year, and one of our favorite players in the entire National Football League in Russell Wilson. And here's the thing. Is this the year that they finally listened to him? He told us this back in late January, early February in Miami prior to the Super Bowl before the world turned upside down. Right. And recently he reiterated it. Said it again. Let's treat every quarter like it's the fourth quarter. Why do they continue to sputter and sputter and sputter and then look at the clock and realize, oh, crap, we're down by 10 points with 11 minutes to play. We better have Russell save our cookies. Let him go out and win your cookies in the first quarter, second quarter, and third quarter. They have some ridiculous record, like 57-0 and when they're leading by 10 or more at halftime. Put the pedal to the metal right out of the gates. Let Russell go out and throw the ball. Stop it with this run the ball, run the ball, run the ball routine. I feel like that's what he is crying out for them to do, Chris. Right. I, I, I agree. I mean, we're all crying for it. And, you know, to, to echo that stat right there, you know, now, it would be different this year, but that play would play to their home field advantage and what their team is, right? Get a lead. Whoa, now it's loud as hell in here, and now we can unleash our pass rush, and the defense can just be crazy. But instead, you know, there's too many games like we saw in the wild card round last year with the, with the Seattle Seahawks, where you go, man, they're clearly the better team. Carson Wentz isn't playing. Josh McCown is 97 years old and on one leg out here, and... It's 17 to nine in the fourth quarter. Like why that there's just too much of that all the time with Seattle. And that's where I think you and me are on like an agreement of, I'd like to see them play through the offense a little bit more, open it up, put pressure. I mean, Russell Wilson knows how to take care of the football. He's not careless by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, if there's a negative on sometimes I go, Ooh, he's a hair too careful. I saw four guys open down the middle, but Pete Carroll is, you know, beaten to his head so long. Don't turn all the ball over. Don't turn the ball. Don't turn the ball over. You know, it, it takes away his aggression at times. So I think between that, DK Metcalf, Greg Olson, the O-line getting better at pass protection, uh, Tyler Lockett, Philip Dorsett being there in free agency. I think you look at that group there and go, no, no, no. This is one of the better things about this football team. They're crazy if they don't play through that angle and kind of put the game a little bit more on Russell Wilson's shoulders. One of the things we established when we were watching the film carefully of these quarterbacks when we did the countdown, and I thought it was very useful to see one play after another, after another, after another. Russell Wilson is every bit as effective as Patrick Mahomes. It just doesn't look as flashy. Yeah, it's not he as doesn't cool. Run around. He doesn't run around with his hair on fire and make the no-look pass and do all the things Mahomes does. But the end result, it's, it's like a lightning strike. It happens so fast you don't quite appreciate it while it's happening. That's what Russell Wilson is in. There was a buzz yesterday, Chris, on social media because Russell Wilson told Sports Illustrated he wants to play until he's 45. Well, He's been saying that for years. In yeah. fact, the first time he said it was on this program in December of 2017. The real question is, for how many of his remaining years will he be playing 
for the Seattle Seahawks. Will it be most? Will it be half? Will it be just a few more? And Seahawks fans lose their minds when we bring that up, and we're not just doing it to get the Seahawks fans to lose their minds. But it's a fair question, especially if they don't pivot to the kind of offense Russell Wilson wants to run. No, definitely. Well, and, you know, and of course, this is a team that had success like we've talked about before. One went to two Super Bowls, won one by rookie quarterback contract. Let's build the rest of the football team. I think that's always been on the radar. That's why we talked about a little in the offseason about the, you know, the talk of what we heard with the Cleveland Browns and the Seattle Seahawks, you know, trading for that first pick of the draft a few years ago. You know, because I think there was some thought in Seattle of like, ooh, maybe do we want to like replicate that formula again and go down that road and do that? So, uh, yeah, I mean, all I, you all you need all you need is a Russell Wilson lurking in round three to make that happen. Oh, that's all you need. That's all. I mean, they've hit gold, <laughs> and he is one of the best players in the league right now. And I just think they're crazy not to play through him more, put a little more on his shoulders. You know, open the game, open the floodgates you know, in the passing game earlier. I think that's what we all want. It's just too many times of, hey, run the ball, play through the defense, run the ball, play through the defense. Damn, that's great, but it's late in the third quarter and we're down 17-13. And, you know, okay, now we got to open up and be this different team. And I wish they would just do that, you know, uh, before, you know, the other way around, vice versa. Hey, once you pay the money for the Ferrari, you got to drive the Yeah, game. step on that gas a Let's little. Let's see them drive the Ferrari right. this year. Best case, worst case, quickly for the Seahawks. I mean, best case, uh, uh, they could win the Super Bowl. I'm not, you know, Seattle's in that class. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't expect them to win the Super Bowl, but I certainly think they're capable. And with him at quarterback and as clutch as they are in battle-tested, worst case, gosh, I mean, whew. Barely missing out on the seventh seed. I mean, I don't think it can be any worse than that. I really can't expect it to be. I mean, you know, nine and seven and do, don't make it. I, I don't think it's going to be much worse than that. Yeah, I, I think that that uh, there's still going to be nine and seven. I think the or, or eight and eight. They're not going to have the losing record. That streak will continue. The question is, will it be good enough to get that seventh seed? Best case, I agree with you. Outside shot at winning the Super Bowl. It yeah. all depends on what the matchup is in the exactly Super Bowl. Exactly right. And, right. and that best case, achieving that best case depends on whether or not they're going to drive the Ferrari. Pete, drive the Ferrari. All right, we're going to take a break when we return. <laughs> a draft of the best tight ends in the National Football League because there's talk of Zach Ertz getting a new contract. We're going to exempt, though, two guys. We usually just exempt one. We're going to leave two out of this draft that's coming up. No Travis Kelsey, no George Kittle. We're going to draft the best tight ends other than them when PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Zach Ertz, Dallas Goddard, a couple of tight ends in Philadelphia. Goddard, the guy who is on the way up, recognizing that Ertz is about to get paid. Said Dallas Goddard yesterday, Kittle and Kelsey signing those contracts really helped out the tight end market, so that's always amazing. Thanks to those guys, but Zach deserves a contract here. He's been here, been a top three tight end in the league. Personally, I believe he's the best in the league for the last bunch of years, so he definitely deserves whatever he's about to get. That's Dallas Goddard, a guy who's going to be on deck for a contract of his own at some yeah, point, seriously. either with the Eagles or somewhere Good else, Chris. 
that that's the reality. The more that they pay Ertz, the harder it will be to pay Goddard. Yeah. So if they give Ertz a gigantic contract, if you look at how the cap dollars work, that could be the ticket that results in Goddard being out of town. So he needs to be careful what he wishes for if he wants to stay with the Eagles. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. I mean, it's a good problem to have, certainly. But yeah, you're right. I mean, if they box themselves into, whoa, we paid too much money for Zach Ertz, you know, you, you miss the opportunity to sign up another guy who's got a long shelf life still to go in the NFL and could be your future. You know, Zach Ertz says his career starts to unwind here. You know, I mean, Zach Ertz is he's starting to he's plateaued. I think he's starting to, you know, at the plateau. We're going to start to hit the decline here soon, too, to where, uh, yeah, they got to be careful with the contract, in my opinion. All right, so in honor of the Ertz contract talks and in recognition of the fact that Travis Kelsey and George Kittle got theirs recently and exempting them from this exercise. This is the Travis Kelsey-George Kittle Memorial Draft. The best tight ends in the NFL. Chris, you have a question for me. Oh, I got the question? I was not ready for that. Oh. No, yes, Didn't I ask the question yesterday? Am I asking Chris? Let me ask Chris. All right, here we I go. Only question. one tight end in NFL me. history right. has caught 1,000 receiving yards. Who is it? One rookie tight end one in rookie NFL history tight has end. caught 1,000 receiving Oh, if you boy. watch my uh, podcast, you would know because we talked I, about I, it. But, you know, I, I, I don't watch your pod. I watch your afternoon podcast as much as you watch my afternoon podcast. I'm just going to throw a dart and say Kellen Winslow, the original Kellen Winslow. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Ghost Rider. No, it's Mike, Mike Ditka. It is right. Isn't that amazing? A thousand receiving yards for a tight end in 1961. That's amazing. I would have never guessed. You could have given me 10 guesses, and I wouldn't have come up with Mike Ditka. All right, you get the first pick. Okay, first pick. It's actually not the easiest first pick in the world here. Um, I think, though, honestly, I'm going to go with Austin Hooper as my first pick. Okay? I'm going to go there. Yeah. I, I like well-rounded tight ends. And Austin Hooper, you know, of course, really good in the pass game, uh, but an awesome run blocker, too. You know, to where you can't just peg him to one thing. So we saw Cleveland paid, you know, pretty good money for him. I don't think Atlanta wanted to lose him because Atlanta made a trade to get another good tight end and Hayden Hurst after that. But uh, I think Austin Hooper is the guy that I'm going to go with here. It's, this is a tough one because it's a very close group here, but uh, well-rounded tight end and really has no weakness to his game. It's going to be tough, though, to get the production out of Hooper Maybe. with – Odo Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry, Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt. Yeah. But, you know, so he may not show it this year. And I don't know how much my pick is going to show it during the regular season, but he's going to show it in the postseason if they keep him healthy. And until he is dethroned, the king of all tight ends continues to be Rob Gronkowski. Gone for a year, not forgotten. I'm astounded you didn't take him. Nah. He's the best tight end. I, he'd have possibly been my first pick, even if Kittle and Kelsey were still in play. Yeah, but you're crazy I know what then. Gronk, uh, it's fine. I don't care. If, I know what Gronk's going to do with the season on the line. And we've, we've got other guys that we know they can perform. We know Kelsey and Kittle can perform at a high level. And long-term, I'd want both of them on my team over Gronk. But for this year, give me Gronk because I know when it's time to make the big catch from Tom Brady with the season riding on it, he's going to do it. Well, all right. All right. I mean, that's iffy. I mean, hasn't played football in a year. You know, we'll see about his production, too, as we've heard. I mean, you know, they got other tight ends down there, too. So right. I I'm with you. He's going to have definitely a niche in the red zone, and I'm sure he's going to be in there in a lot of big moments. There's no doubt about that. Um, all right. Next guy. Man. You're, you left Zach Ertz on the board here, so I got to go with Zach Ertz. I'm going to go with him. I mean, again, it's a passing league. The guy has a niche in the passing game. I, yeah, do I wish he was a better run blocker? Certainly. You know, he's not a very effective that way. But in the pass game, you know, similar to a Travis Kelsey where he's very slick. He's a really good route runner. Is he going to break, like, big plays after the catch and break tackles? No, not necessarily. But he's going to break through some arm tackles and make a guy miss to get an extra four or five yards and do all that, too, let alone he has phenomenal hands. So you're going to leave Zach Ertz out there. I'm going to take it. Yeah, look, uh, I, I did leave him out there because, again, I'd still rather have Gronk when the season is on the line and he's still regarded Hope they make as, the playoffs, uh, Tampa, because if they no, don't, that would be a wasted will. pick. They <laughs> they'll, 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 I, with seven spots in the NFC, they'll make the playoffs. All right, I'm going to go Hunter Henry, franchise tagged by the Chargers, especially with the Mike Williams news we discussed earlier. He's got a shoulder injury that's keeping him out for a while. If he's not out there, it's more opportunities for Henry. And, you know, Henry's had that career that's a little bit of a mixed bag. He had 652 receiving yards last year and five touchdowns. 
But, you know, this is a guy who I think uh, could have a very productive season, especially if they get Justin Herbert out there on the field. But even with Tyrod Taylor, we've said this about Taylor over and over again. He's been pretty good in his career, and he's never had the weapons like the ones he's going to have this year. And Henry, a big part of that. All right, you're up next. Yeah, he's super talented, Henry, definitely. I mean, just stay healthy. I mean, he can become a big-time target. Um, I I can't believe this, that, you know, this guy's going to be here for this third pick. This this really might be the guy who I – this was really my first pick. I just didn't think you'd take him. Darren Waller, the Oakland Raiders. You know, I, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I think right now, and I've said this on my podcast, it would go Kittle 1, Kelsey 2, Darren Waller 3 in tight ends in football right now. Hey, at 90 receptions, had 1,100 yards receiving, and he's an awesome blocker too. I know you and I have discussed on the show too, like the Raiders were really smart in getting out in front of – you know, his contract. They did something we talk about all the time. Let's not wait for the guy to explode and then try to sign him. Let's like have a little vision to go, wait, this guy's really damn good. He's going to explode. Let's sign him up now for $9 million a year. I mean, they got to steal with that. Darren Waller is awesome. He is the type of tight end that you can formulate a game plan around. And uh, I can't believe I'm getting, there's more good tight ends in football than you realize once you start to go down the, this draft. Yeah, and and this last one for me is going to be very difficult. You know, uh, I know. Kyle Rudolph is a guy that I considered. He 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 doesn't have the production that he used to. He right. had the big catch though in the playoff game to extend the season. I'm going to go Jared Cook of the Saints. Good for you, Jared. Jared Cook, especially now with Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, he may find more opportunities this year than he's than he's had. He still had 705 receiving yards last year for the Saints in 14 games, and uh, we've seen him deliver some big catches in big moments and uh, I, I think I think he's a guy who could could have a big impact on New Orleans offense this year Chris yeah no he's, he's an awesome football player you know I was a teammate of his with the Tennessee Titans he's a huge man he's got great body control and as we've seen you know he's kind of special where he can catch a ball 10 yards over the middle and split a defense and run for a 70 yard touchdown I mean, he really can. So that's a special skill set. And I think year two in that Sean Payton offense, you're going to see that kind of take off too. Man, I mean, we didn't even. He's, ma- he's, he's, ma- he's made big catches. He had that catch from Aaron Rodgers in the playoff game a couple of years ago. Right. But he's always seemed to overplay his hand when it's time to negotiate a new contract. And he never really stays in one place. No, you're right. It, is, it seems very fair to say that. I mean, but man, we didn't know a fan. TJ Hawkinson, who I expect to be in the convo for best tight ends in football. How about our guy in Baltimore? We didn't get to Mark Andrews. You know, I didn't know if you were going to take Gronk, and I think that's the guy who got left off the list because you took Gronk. But I won the draft today. Good try, though. Good work, Mike. Uh, Okay, we'll see when Gronk has his hands on the Super Bowl trophy. We'll bring this tape back if either of us remember it, which probably (laughs) will not happen. Here's what will happen. We'll be back tomorrow with a new edition of PFT Live. Enjoy your Wednesday. Thanks for joining us. See ya. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 